Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to Coronavirus Explained. Here's your host, Ryan Gorman. As the world continues to deal with this global pandemic, Americans continue working hard to mitigate the spread of this infectious disease, along with caring for those who have contracted it and adjusting to the reopening of our communities. Here at iHeartRadio, we're working to make sure you have the right information. So for the next half hour, we'll be joined by a few special guests to talk about a variety of subjects related to COVID-19. In a moment, I'll talk to the co-founder of the Beach Boys, Mike Love, about his new coronavirus-related song with John Stamos, the proceeds of which benefit Feeding America. Also, I'll be joined by a former R&D specialist for Clorox to go over everything you need to know about disinfecting, sanitizing, and cleaning in the age of COVID-19. And finally, I'll be joined by the CEO of the Kids in Need Foundation to talk about how they're helping children across the country adjust to distance learning and prepare for the reopening of schools. All of that and more is on the way as we try to help you better protect yourself and your family and better understand how to navigate this coronavirus outbreak. To get things started, I'm joined now by the co-founder of the Beach Boys, Mike Love. Mike, we really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us today about your new song, This Too Shall Pass, which benefits Feeding America. But before we get to that, I read that you're self-quarantining at Lake Tahoe. How is that going for you? Are you the type that can self-isolate and be fine, or do you need to be around people? Well, you know, I prefer, there's recording and then there's touring. I prefer the touring part of it. So I'm grounded right now, along with all the musicians in the world and and all the athletes as well. So I've got a lot of company. But I have a beautiful home overlooking the lake, Lake Tahoe and in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And so uh, I have a lot to be grateful for there. But since we've been grounded, I, I thought I'd come up with something creative and new, and I wrote this song called This Too Shall Pass, which is a, a message of hope. I mean, we're going through a lot of stuff uh, with this pandemic, and a lot of people are in the front lines of it, but but after all, uh, even the worst things do pass at one time, like, I rem- you know, like I remember the Vietnam War was a big deal for quite a while. But then later on, it was over, and we got back to living life normally. And so that's what we're hoping for in the near future here. So how did this project come about? I heard you, your wife, and and then John Stamos were trying to figure out something to do to help, and you decided to write up a new song. Yeah, John asked me, you should do a a parody lyric of one of your songs, like Kokomo or or uh, Good Vibrations or something. I said, well, I have an idea for a new song. So I sat down and wrote out a bunch of lyrics dealing with what we're all having to do and 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 giving a shout-out to the people who are really in the front lines. But also, you know, the chorus, uh, people are wondering how long it'll last. As the saying goes, this too shall pass. Um, I believe the best is yet to come, and we'll get back to having fun, fun, fun in the sun. So, yeah, we... we I, I came up with that, and uh, 
seven different locations were involved in making this song because <clears throat> our piano player lives in Vegas, our musical director lives in Florida, two of our guys live in Nashville, <clears throat> my son Christian lives in Santa Barbara, Stamos lives in Southern California, <clears throat> and I, I live in Lake Tahoe. So I did my part in my studio in Tahoe, and everybody sent theirs in along with the video that we did, we did with iPhones and stuff. And before you know it, Stamos did his drums and uh, volunteered to put the video together, which he did. So we have a lot of great, we're very grateful to John Stamos for getting involved and taking a hand in producing the video. I'm joined right now by Beach Boys co-founder Mike Love, who has a new single out, This Too Shall Pass, featuring special guest John Stamos. All artists and label royalties are going to Feeding America's COVID-19 Response Fund, and you can hear the song and check out the video and everything at MikeLove.com. So, Mike, talk a little bit about the writing process, not just for this song in particular, but for songs throughout your entire career. How does that happen for you? Do you have an idea in your head and then you write it down and start to piece it together? What's that process like? Well, in this particular instance, I I sat down, you know, I was in my studio and I was thinking, um, we all remember when school is out, it was a cause for celebration because schools are canceled, right? And uh, um, nobody ever thought about closing down entire nations. That's pretty unbelievably unique. And then uh, washing hands and wearing masks, and it's not even Halloween. Uh, shaking hands is a thing of the past due to social distancing. So I was just enumerating some of the things that we're all, uh, you know, experiencing. And and then um, I wanted to give a shout shout out to all the, you know, people that are in the front lines. And then came up with the chorus idea saying, hey, this too shall pass, and we'll get back to having fun, fun, fun in the sun. So I wrote a bunch of lyrics out. And then I came up with a melody, and I called our piano player, Tim Bonhomme, who's living in Vegas. Over the phone, I, we got the tempo and the melody, and then sent that to our musical director, who did the basic track, and then he sent it around to everybody else. So it was a, a totally different thing. Normally, though, uh, there would be a, a melody, or a, like, for instance, the, the song California Girls. My cousin Brian was in the studio with the Wrecking Crew, these great musicians in, in L.A. and Sunset Boulevard in the studio. And and he, they were working on the track. And then I went out out in the corridor of the studio and wrote out all the words to California girls. Well, East Coast girls are hip. I really dig the styles they were, et cetera. So, and, and there was another song called Fun, 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 where he and I, I came up with the concept and the lyrics, and, and he did the track. And, um, you know, came up with that amazing falsetto sound at the end of the song. So that was another true collaboration there. Fun, fun, fun. California Girls. The same thing with I Get Around. And and Good Vibrations was a little bit more complicated because he did several different versions of different studios. And I wrote the words uh, once the the final track had been decided that that was it, going to be the single then I wrote the words on the way to the studio, uh, dictated the, the poem that became the, the verses of, of uh, Good Vibrations. Did the so writing, it was a little different each time. Did the writing always come easy for you? Was it, was it always something where the words just kind of came to you and you were able to put it together? Yeah, when I was in school, I loved English, English literature, American literature, whatever it was. I, I like words. I like poet, read poetry and stuff like that. And I did my own poetry from from time to time, but but so words were something I was really 
you know, into and poetry and, you know, rhyming things and stuff like that and concepts. So, yeah, it was easy for me. Just like it was easy for Brian to get the piano and do these fantastic chord progressions. He was very gifted at doing that. I'm joined by Beach Boys co-founder Mike Love, who has a new single out, This Too Shall Pass. You can check it out at MikeLove.com, and all the uh, proceeds go to Feeding America's COVID-19 Response Fund. It sounds like you and John Stamos are close. How did that come about? Well, we met him first in the mid-'80s in Washington, D.C. He came out to one of our big concerts there where we had you know close to half a million people, I'd say. He was Blackie on General Hospital, but before he was an actor, he was a drummer in a band in Southern California. And so there's nothing he loves more than to come out and play drums, and maybe he'll play some guitar and we'll back him up on a song. But uh, yeah, he we've been on Full House a few times, and in fact, I've been recognized from being on that program. <laughs> and you know, but he's just a really great guy, and he volunteered to to play the drums and to produce the video of the song. Now the the the, the track was produced by our musical director Scott Totten, living in Florida, and everybody else added their parts in uh, from from like I said, seven different locations. So it was very different doing this song, but it sounds like we're all together when you play it. Let me ask you this. You did an interview with Rolling Stone a few years ago, and you said that performing is your thing. That's what you love to do. Your cousin Brian, he loved the studio, but for you, performing was what got you going. Are you concerned at all that it might not be possible to do performances the way you're used to doing them for a while? Well, that remains to be seen. I think that depends on the venue and the place it is. You know, like, for instance, some uh, governors are opening up more than other governors and stuff. And But I think there's a pent-up demand for both performances of music as well as sports. I mean, I hesitate to say what would happen if they didn't allow the homecoming games between <laughs> some of these big football teams. I mean, I think there'd be a wholesale insurrection or something. But because people are love their music and they love their sports, and I think you know we're all we're all hoping we can get back to it. Maybe we'll have to wear a mask some places, or or maybe have your temperature taken. But that's not the end of the world. That if that's if that's all you have to do to to be able to go enjoy a concert or or a game or something, then that's a small price to pay. Beach Boys co-founder and music legend Mike Love. Mike, thank you so much for your time and for donating the proceeds of your new song, This Too Shall Pass, Defeating America. Stay safe, and hopefully we'll see you back on tour real soon. Thank you, Ryan, for having me on the program. Appreciate it. Now let's turn to cleaning expert Dr. Kerry Lestage for some information on how best to disinfect and sanitize your home or business during the coronavirus pandemic. Dr. Lestage, thank you for joining us. And let's start with what you did for Clorox. So I uh, started my career there, actually, uh, something almost 15 years ago. I um, started right out of school and and started formulating products for them uh, and sort of moved up the ranks uh, over the years and eventually landed in the professional products division where uh, learned all about industrial cleaning and um, and then from there um, made the jump to BioPlanet where we make uh, electrostatic sprayers. So, which is the new the, the, which is the new sexy technology these days. It seems like so, even though it's been around for decades and decades. 
so wait, explain that to me for a second. What is electrostatic spray? What, what, what do I need to know about that? Is that like better than, than all this other stuff? Is that some new fancy thing that I need to get? Yeah, actually. Um, and for infection control in particular, it's actually been used in the, in the cruise line industry for the better part of 10 years. Uh, even before that, it was used in agriculture to, to spray pesticides. And, and the reason that electrostatic delivery is so special is that it's able to take the disinfectant in our case, um, and it makes it almost like little magnets so that when you spray uh, the, oh, the disinfectant, it is actually attracted to the target that you're trying to disinfect. And so, for example, if I was going to uh, disinfect your chair, for example, I would spray the front of your chair, but because those little droplets are actually charged, they will wrap around to the back side of that chair. And even though you're only spraying the front side, the entire chair will be completely coated. So explain the difference between sanitizers and disinfectants. Yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's really confusing. I think a lot of the confusion stems because we use these terms interchangeably. Uh, and in actuality, the EPA has very clear guidelines around the difference between what makes a sanitizer and what makes a disinfectant. Um, and so I, I think in easiest terms, the way that we can think about it is that a sanitizer is uh, for a hard surface. We're talking about hard surface. I should probably make that distinction, too. We're not talking about hand sanitizers. We're talking about san- okay. uh, sanitizers that you would use to use your countertops and that thing. A sanitizer will reduce the amount of uh, germs that you've got on the surface. And so in the industry, we call that a three-log pill, which means that if you've ever seen on some products a 99.9% reduction, um, that's a sanitizing claim. Um, In a disinfecting uh, claim is a 99.9999% reduction, which means that it eliminates almost all of the germs on the surface. And that distinction, when you're talking about infection control, makes a really big difference. What would be an example of some sanitizers, and then what would be examples of disinfectants? Yeah, so my, one of my most favorite sanitizer uh, is actually one that's made by Clorox, not surprising. Um, and they make it, it's called Clorox Anywhere. Uh, and I really, really like this because it's a, it's Hang a on, product I'm ri- that I'm writing I this down. Break. Yeah, write it down. Um, it's Clorox a, it's a product that I can spray on um, my cutting boards. I can spray it on my kids' toys. Like when they were babies, I would, I would put it on their toys because they were constantly putting things in their mouth. And it was, it was one that I didn't have to worry about there being residual, uh, chemical on the, on the surfaces. So I'm not, I'm not putting things in my body that I, I need to be scared of. And, but it was, it reduces the, the, the germs on those surfaces, especially when they were, my kids were younger. Um, you can imagine that, that they're germy little critters. And so this was a perfect product that I could spray on absolutely everything. So that was, that would be my favorite sanitizer. Um, from a, from a disinfectant in my house, uh, the Clorox wipes are my go-to product. It's a really, really easy thing to just sort of pull out a wipe and um, hit those doorknobs and all my high touch areas. Um, those are those are those are some of my favorites. Um, so that's interesting. In business, so Clorox, the, the one product is a sanitizer, but then the wipes are a disinfectant, which is a little bit more right. powerful. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Do you have any idea why it's it's so difficult to get these wipes back? on the shelves? Is it just because demand is so through the roof and it's so hard to, yeah. to catch up? It, it, it is. And, and our organization is feeling exactly the same thing that the, that the Clorox team is. And uh, we are working 24 uh, seven trying to catch up, but the sheer volume of people that have um, asked for these products has just 
exploded. And because of that, it's just the supply chain just can't react that quickly. But we're getting close. The good news is, is that the, the, the supply chain hurdles that we're wrestling with, we're starting to, to get to, to smooth those out. And you're going to start to see those products start to be on the shelf once again. It won't be long. I'm talking to cleaning expert and COO of BioPlanet, Dr. Kerry Lestage. Let's talk for a second about different businesses as they begin to reopen and disinfecting, uh, you know, surfaces becomes something that they really need to stay up on. Uh, what are some different uh, cleaning items that different businesses should make sure they have? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, great, it's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that we have to make sure that we're clear with everyone is that whether it's sanitizing or disinfecting, the very first step has got to be a cleaning step. And I know that sounds a little bit strange because, again, it's one of those things, these terms that we, that we use and almost uh, assume that it's the same thing, but in fact it's not. Um, it's really important that that cleaning step where you're using a detergent or just soap and water that you're able to clean the soils and the dirts and the grease off of those surfaces first before you use a sanitizer or a disinfectant um, if they're going to be effective. That, that soil makes all the difference in the world, and so it's really important that you remove those soils from the surface. So that cleaning step is a critical one for everybody. What about antibacterials? Are antibacterials, are they effective? Especially, you know, we're talking about a virus here. How does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of times what you'll find is the antibacterial claims on things like hand soap, for example. Uh, my personal perspective on it is that just good old-fashioned soap and water, uh, if done properly uh, in a good rinse, uh, is incredibly effective. And you don't necessarily need an antibacterial in a, in a hand wash if you're, if you're washing your hands properly. Uh, antibacterial, again, is again one of those terms that is sort of misused in a lot of cases. Um, I like the term antimicrobial better because that's uh, that's a term that we that we use in the industry that refers to everything from bacteria to viruses to molds to fungi to all of it. Um, and so uh, the products that we offer and we sell in most businesses, they need to be looking for antimicrobials, not just antibacterials. Regular non-antibacterial soap that that will work. Absolutely, absolutely. And oh. and in fact, I, I would I would encourage it. I think it's probably uh, better for you. Um, if you're, if you're, you know, just a good, you know, a good lather, make sure that you get into all those, those crevices, uh, and, and make sure you got a good rinse and that soap will carry those germs away. Uh, and I think it'd be far more effective than trying to do it with, uh, with the antimicrobial included into, into that, into that soap, just good old fashioned bar soap works. I'm joined by cleaning expert and COO of BioPlanet, Dr. Kerry Lestage. What about the hand sanitizers? How effective are they? Because a lot of people are using them now uh, as, as essentially, in some cases, a first line of defense against the coronavirus. Is that smart? You know what? It, I think it is. And I think that under ideal circumstances, you want to be in a situation where you can actually wash your hands. Soap and water, washing your hands in a sink is by far the, the, the best. But that quite often isn't really an option for folks. And so like if I'm going to the grocery store or if I have to be at work and we're, and we don't have access to a sink every time, a hand sanitizer is a great choice. What about uh, these all natural products? Do they work? Well, uh, you have to be a little bit careful with all natural products because um, at least in, in, from, from my perspective is that from uh, a, a product that is natural or considered natural 
isn't necessarily more effective and isn't necessarily safer. Uh, part of the rigor that uh, as, as companies like, like Clorox and like ours, what we go through uh, with the EPA registration, so our products are called, they're called EPA registered products, disinfectants. We go through a whole battery of tests that prove not only that they're effective against antimicrobials, but they're against uh, uh, bacteria and viruses, but they're also safe for use. And so if the directions are, are followed properly, I really have a lot of faith that the that, that the, the those types of products um, uh, should be your first line of defense. The, the natural products, uh, there is evidence that they they can be effective, but I would argue that they don't go through the same level of rigor that uh, a EPA registered product would go through. So, in in my house, it's that's the first line of defense. But they do have to have a certain alcohol level to work properly, correct? Yeah, it does, actually. And uh, one of the things that might be a little bit confusing uh, in this time is I think you may have heard that there has been um, some waiving of those uh, regulations. And, and, and part of the reason why they can do that is that it's well known that a certain level of alcohol will is very effective at killing um, germs on your hands. And so as long as you're using a product that has uh, about 70% alcohol to it, then you're in, you're in great shape. Cleaning expert and COO of BioPlanet, Dr. Kerry Lestage. Dr. Lestage, thank you so much for taking a few minutes and, and coming on the show. And I'm telling you, I'm going to look into this electrostatic spray. I think that's there's something there. I need to have that. I don't. I don't. I still don't really understand Absolutely. what it does, but I want it. <laughs> okay, okay. Come on. We'll, we'll, we'd love to have you. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Doctor. Thank you. Finally, I'm joined by the CEO of the Kids in Need Foundation, Corey Gordon, to discuss the important work they're doing for students across the country. You can find out more at KINF.org. Corey, thank you so much for the help your organization provides, especially during a trying time like this. How did the Kids in Need Foundation come about, and what's the overall mission? Thanks, Ryan. Kids in Need Foundation was founded about 26 years ago. And our focus is in the education realm, specifically the under-resourced teachers and students who lack the essential resources needed to be able to be in school, to get taught, and to provide the classrooms with the supplies that are needed. I think some people might not fully grasp the scope of the need in some of these schools. Can you put that into context for us? Absolutely. It's a need that most people don't realize or fully understand, like you said, Ryan. And, you know, when you look at absenteeism as being one of the biggest uh, socioeconomic issues that uh, we deal with when it comes to uh, kids and in schools, one of the factors that contribute to absenteeism is the fact that they lack the resources needed, whether it's the school supplies, whether it's the classroom supplies. The kids don't have the confidence and there's the social stigma about showing up to school without what you need. And for girls, it gets compounded in middle school and high school because they don't have the feminine hygiene products that they need. And so because of it, these kids stay home from school and there's absenteeism increased. And so what our what we do is focus on what the kids need to be in school, to be, feel confident they can stay in school, and to ensure that the teachers are not spending one to two paychecks every school year equipping these kids in their classrooms at, because the families don't have the resources. And your organization is really focused on the schools with the most need across the country, correct? 
Correct. We are on the when you look at the, the spectrum of Maslow's hierarchy, we're really at the, towards the bottom of the rung. These are kids and families who most of their decisions relate to making sure that they have food on the table or they they're able to eat. And so uh, when they're lacking in those types of basic necessities, well, things like school supplies for these kids are luxury items. So having a backpack full of supplies that most kids would, regardless of whether they're in kindergarten or whether they're in 12th grade, those are really considered luxury items for these kids. So we really are serving at the most basic level to eliminate really what the fundamental problem and basic problem that we can't solve, which is equipping these kids properly. I'm joined by the CEO of the Kids in Need Foundation, Corey Gordon. You can find out more at KINF.org. Tell us about how your work helps teachers too, who often end up spending their own money on supplies for their students. Yeah, it has a significant ripple effect. So if the kids don't have supplies, absenteeism increases. When absenteeism increases, because the federal governments reimburse the states based on the kids being in class, that means federal funding for the schools get cut. And as the federal funding for schools get cut, the teachers are more impacted. It becomes a vicious downward spiral where the teachers are frequently trying to spend money out of their own money um, I'm sorry, out of their own bank account to cover for these resources that are each year that are being cut from them. And as I said, it, it, for our teachers, and when you look at their salary, it's really equivalent to about one to two paychecks a year that the teachers are giving up for the kids and for their classrooms. So it really is, a uh, you know, for the teachers, it's a significant burden and stress reliever and helps with some of the teacher burnout and attrition that we see as well. So last week was Teacher Appreciation Week, and I think if some parents didn't fully appreciate the job that teachers do day in and day out, having to take on that role because of distance learning has probably opened their eyes quite a bit. Uh, Talk a little bit about how along with teachers and students and parents, your organization has had to adjust because of this public health crisis. Yeah, the coronavirus has obviously thrown everybody for a loop, and teachers and schools are just absolutely scrambling to ensure that the kids are getting an education. And this, unfortunately, this time is only exacerbating the kind of the gap between the haves and the have-nots because those kids that uh, origin, or come from homes where they're able to be fully resourced, they're able to just jump right into distance learning. They have computers, they've got internet access, and they're able to pick up where the teachers are with uh, the education. For the kids who are under-resourced, however, they're already lacking in basic supplies. So for them, having a computer and internet access home is not something that uh, is readily accessible. And many of these kids don't even have homes. Plus, then you have all these frontline workers where school, in some ways, was the, the child care or daycare for the kids. And so now parents are scrambling as well. So it's, it really has uh, uh, changed and upset everybody's apple cart, so to speak. And so what we're doing now is we are providing supplies directly to schools teachers uh, and school districts where they have distribution sites where uh, families can come and pick up food for the kids. They can also then pick up school supplies for the kids. Those that don't have those distribution sites, we're providing to the school district so they can be included on the bus routes because many schools have the bus routes going out to delivering food. And so at the same time, then they're able to deliver food and uh, school supplies for these kids. Other schools are coming directly to our locations and doing a drive-up service, so to speak, where they're bringing big box trucks where we're loading up uh, boxes and boxes or pallets of supplies that then go back for distribution that way. So we're really trying to work with each of the schools and the school districts, depending upon their capabilities and their setup, to ensure that both the teachers 
as what they need to continue the education process today, as well as in the kids, that they're getting the resources that they need. Because if they don't have computers and internet access, they still need the basic supplies. And then we are also working with partners to try to uh, address the digital gap as well. I'm joined right now by the CEO of the Kids in Need Foundation, Corey Gordon. You can find out more at KINF.org. Are there any changes or are you focused on any specific issues for the upcoming school year, especially with the possibility that kids could be going back to school in a more normal fashion or things might be a bit different moving forward because we'll still be working to mitigate the spread of the virus? Yes. I mean, we are in close communications with educators across the country to understand what the different scenarios and models will be. And right now, frankly, no one really has a certainty on what that will look like. So we're trying to flex with if it's one of three different scenarios, what would we do in each response to each of those scenarios to ensure that the the schools and the teachers and the students have the resources and supplies that they need and that they anticipate they're going to need um, uh, depending on these different models that are coming down. So, And then also the delivery, how do products get to them? Because in one hand, you could have teachers coming to our locations, but on the other hand, when you have people who are scattered throughout the U.S., of course, uh, the, the distribution also becomes a challenge. We're making sure that uh, the, there are direct shipments uh, to the schools and teachers. Final question for you. How can people help? Well, number one, it's the awareness. And this is wonderful that uh, you all are doing this interview because the awareness and appreciation for the teachers isn't just last week, right? It really is more broadly what the teachers are doing across the country to support these kids. And so, number one, it's just awareness knowing that this is the reality for teachers today and for these underserved students here in America, right, where we don't have the resources necessary for these kids to gain their education. And then number two, uh, you've given out our website, KINF.org, where there are opportunities to volunteer at some of our resource centers throughout the U.S., as well as the type of supplies that these kids and teachers need. And then, of course, any contributions that uh, people can make to help cover the cost of shipping these products across the country would be wonderful. Corey Gordon, CEO of the Kids in Need Foundation. Thank you again for the work you're doing and for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, too, Ryan. And a big thanks to all of our guests and, of course, to all of you for listening to Coronavirus Explained. I'm Ryan Gorman on iHeartRadio. Stay safe.